All right. Welcome back. Hey, it is a new episode of the Mankind Podcast. And oh my gosh, it feels so good to say that. Because um, to be honest, we have been on a little bit of an unintentional break. Uh, Some of you may know, some of you who know me may know that I just recently switched jobs, but not just that, I also switched careers. So I'm in a whole new career. It is a big learning curve for me. And um, I was fortunate enough in my last job to have a computer and software and stuff I needed to produce this podcast. It was, you know, producing content was a big part of my job, but uh, I had to find a new way. And so here we are today, brand new computer, brand new software, and we are up and going with a brand new episode of the Mankind Podcast. And I am so excited about it, Uh, not just because we're back, but because we're interviewing uh, Ted Beasley. I know that When I started this podcast, I knew that kindness and careers were going to be a big part of the conversation. And today we are diving into that. Um, We've talked about it with uh, one of my first interviews with Tom Turco, but here we are talking with Ted Beasley, and he coaches executives, senior level leadership, and entire organizations on how to be better leaders and deliver results. And so we're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, We filmed this uh, before I lost every, before I went into hiding. So this has been literally sitting uh, on a shelf, ready to go, and I am so excited to give it to you today on a brand new episode of the Mankind Podcast. Welcome to the Mankind Podcast, a podcast committed to promoting and growing kindness in everyday men. I'm the host, Justin J. Girdler, and I care about bringing communities together and clarifying the important role that men play using empathy and emotional intelligence instead of charisma and dominance. Have you ever felt like it's too hard to be a kind business leader? That kindness and business don't mix. Sure, kindness is good in your personal life, but in the workplace, it's dog-eat-dog and good guys finish last? Or have you ever struggled with how to be nice to someone that's just rude? I mean, we've all worked with, and you know, pardon my French here, but we have all worked with assholes. It's unavoidable. So what do you do in those situations? Well, today on the podcast, we have Ted Beasley. He is a career coach for executives and entrepreneurs. He's an entrepreneur himself, and he teaches business classes for MBA students. And today on the podcast, he's going to give us some very practical how-tos if you are an empathetic type leader, as well as what to do if you happen to be a jerk in the workplace. He's going to be going uh, to highlight the value that empathetic leaders bring, as well as show how to navigate some of the pitfalls, some of the struggles that many emotionally open leaders experience just in working in the workplace. I can't wait. It's going to be a great episode. Let's get into it. All right. I am here with Ted Beasley. Ted is, um, you're an executive coach, a business leader. Uh, You help uh, not just executives, but you help entire teams figure out how to work together better through through your business, uh, emerging execs. And you've also taught at an MBA level 
uh, business classes uh, mm-hmm. in the Austin area. And so um, appreciate you being here on the show and I love the experience that you bring with you in terms of helping people figure out how to work better together. Um, as we were talking through the show, you kind of pointed out um, just kind of the direction we're going to go today about what, how do you be the kind of leader and still uh, be effective or how do you stay out of the ditch uh, as, as some people would call like an alpha male type personality. Uh, so we'd love to dive into that, but first just a little bit, who, who are you? Who, who, what's your background? What's your life like? Well, Justin, let me first say uh, I'm really happy to be here with you and uh, your audience. Um, I just think the world of your abilities uh, to tell stories uh, digitally, you know, in film and um, in this format too. And I always appreciated the way you could draw stories out of people. So I, as I look at my uh, own story, I don't think it's particularly compelling, but I'm counting on you to make it that way today. <laughs> oh, you're making me blush over here. Uh, oh, well, okay. Um, well, yeah. So uh, just on the personal side, I have three kiddos, uh, two in college and one about to graduate high school. She texted me this morning before you and I started talking and asked if she could skip school today. Um, so she's already checking out of her senior year. I get it. Um, and then I'm married to Stephanie, who is um, just a phenomenal person. And she works in education in the library setting. And uh, uh, just uh, we've been married for 26 years. She's incredible. Uh, on the work side, I run a firm called Emergent Execs. Uh, we do two. We do oh, yeah, two products. You know, one is more classroom management and leadership training, and we work primarily with tech, finance, and energy companies uh, in uh, training their leaders. And then the other side of the business is we work one-on-one with senior executives and nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners um, around, you know, growing their competencies and growing their businesses. Mm, That's awesome. Uh, You know, on the personal level, my daughter, who is not a senior, uh, in fact, she's only six. She asked me today also, can I skip school? (laughs) Every generation never going to end earlier, I think. (laughs) No, no, you have to go today. Oh, it's going to be the worst. I think they kind of got used to skipping school uh, the last couple of years. So understandable. Well, uh, I've gotten the privilege of actually taking one of your classes um, and just loved the material you went through. Um, You have kind of several modules that you walk teams through. And Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember all the ones that we did, but I know empathy was one of them. uh, Conflict resolution was one of them. Um, uh, tough kind of kind of those tough conversations in the conflict one and oh my goodness I just <clears throat> there was so much I was just going yes 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 and agreeing with but stuff that I hadn't learned some of the tough skills of actually doing and having to work through okay how would you do this you know what's interesting about that Justin is uh, I, I saw one study that the average manager in in the marketplace becomes a team leader at 29 years old, um, but the average uh, manager gets their first management training at 39 years old. 
So there's this 10 year gap of you've been put in charge of a, a division or a team and you get, you've got really no idea. And so you're, you're uh, making it up as you go and learning by doing is a good way of, of figuring something out. But, you know, I look at my kids uh, who are, you know, great skiers, snow skiers, and they had lessons when they were starting out and I, their dad, you know, when I learned, I just fell down the mountain. So they, they're like, they ski a lot better now because they, they knew what to practice and how to do it. So yeah, most of us were never taught how to lead people. No, no. It was just like, Oh, you're, you're good at this. Why don't you just teach other people how to do it and doing right. it yourself, like leading yourself. I mean, that is a skill, but stuff that we put time and energy into, but then just go teach other people how to do it. How hard can that be? just thrown into it. And I know that was some of my experience, even like stepping into a leadership role for the first time, being like, I have no, this is way harder. (laughs) I thought I would just say, Hey guys, we're going to do this. And everybody would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And it turns out people didn't agree with me or thought I was an idiot or wanted to go a different direction. But you figured it out. You burned some bridges along the way, but you figured it out. (laughs) I am figuring it out still to this day. I'm still figuring it out. That's even part of why I'm doing the podcast is I want to learn from guys who are just more experienced and have practiced these things. And I think, and again, going back to your class, so many people, I think every guy out there probably would agree, like kindness is important. But when you get into a conflict situation, have you actually practiced it in your class really allowed us to say, okay, these are the principles and everybody's shaking their head. Yes. Okay. Now, how would you do this? Oh, I hadn't actually thought through how I would do that. And so you get, gave some great framework and helped us build some of those plans. How are you going to have a difficult conversation with a, with an employee? How are you going to uh, fix that resolution? How are you going to have more empathy for your team? It's great stuff. So, okay, so what, what got you started as you were kind of, what, what drew your curiosity to this field? I mean, you wake up one day and you're just like, I'm going to teach people how to do business or how did that happen? I, um, honestly, it goes back to some, you know, problems I, I had in my early years. I, I've always kind of been split down the middle with two personalities, Justin. Um, and one of them, I mean, even from a young age, one of my personas has been like a type A uh, driven business guy. So, you know, when I, when I was 10, 12 years old, I had my own window washing business and I had all these side hustles and all of my life, I've just loved making money. And it's not because of the materialistic side. It's like when someone finds something valuable that you do or produce and they're willing to pay for it. I mean, there's just like, there's no better feeling to me, or at least that, that side of me. So I've always kind of been a a business person. Um, But the other side, I, uh, for lack of a better term, is the priest. And I had some rough things going on in my uh, family of origin when uh, I was five or six years old uh, related to drugs. And and um, you know, my dad was out of the home because he had to travel a lot for business. And you know, I had to be the priest or the pastor or the help to my mom and my much older brothers and I was kind of thrust into a position of taking care of people. So all of my life, there's been this, that side of me, which is um, the person who sees people's pain and wants to enter into it and wants to make a difference. 
and it's hard for me to say no to a need. And uh, those two sides of me kind of warred for a long time, but I always got encouragement as I was growing up, particularly in my teen years, you know, uh, Teddy, you're supposed to be a, a preacher. You're supposed to be a pastor. Um, don't do that business thing because it's it's not as important as, you know, helping people with their souls. So I kind of bought into that. And the first half of my career, you know, I started a church in college. I went and worked for the biggest church in America at the time in Chicago in my early 20s. And then I uh, came to Austin in 1998 and started Gateway Church uh, along with a buddy from Chicago. Uh, And so I did the priest side of me, um, but there was always, I mean, it, always, I always felt like half a, half a person that like I was ignoring the business side of me. And I, I had some options, you know, I could run, I could run my churches like a business, but that, that feels icky. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to start a televangelist network and have my wife grow her eyelashes out or anything like that. Um, or, or I could like, you know, start, you know, side businesses and that didn't feel right. And so, so, you know, I thought, well, how can I finally bring those two sides of me together, priest and business person or entrepreneur? And um, I, you know, I, I got exposed to an executive coach um, who was helping me think through these issues and, and, you know, the light bulbs kind of went off. I mean, this guy is doing both sides of my equation. So, I started asking around who, who in the country is the very best executive coach. You know, and I got, you know, answers like Tony Robbins. Um, but I, I said, no, people who like would really share my worldview and, you know, understand my experience. And the one guy's name kept popping up. So I tracked down his phone number and I cold called him and he mentored me over the phone for about 18 months in being an executive coach he basically gave me the keys to the Ferrari. I mean, everything that he knew, he passed it on to me. I'm forever grateful to him. His name is Steve Graves. And uh, that's how I got started. So it was a lifelong journey of trying to put two pieces together in my life. And I didn't want to discard either of them. And it just kind of came together in executive coaching. Dang, that's awesome. I, there's parts that I didn't even know. Um, yeah. I, I know parts of your story, but that's awesome. Um, so did it feel like you had to like kill a side of you? I guess you were talking about bringing them both together, but I'm thinking through maybe some people who have that business sense, do they have to have the pastoral side too, to be, a uh, to do what you do or be a business leader? What's, what was kind of the. Oh, there, you know, there are all kinds of coaches and some people are more comfortable on that priest or counselor side. And so, you know, they gravitate towards like a life coaching uh, uh, type of business or role, uh, which is really great helping people figure out why they're stuck and what their goals are and that sort of thing. So, so that's cool. Um, but that's not enough of the business side for me. So, you know, I like to start with the business issues because people have compelling reasons They, you know, they've got a dream of where they want to be. They've got some goals in place, but they come to me and realize uh, I've got to change, you know, the way I 
uh, approach my work or I need to add skills or I need a new mental framework for um, this business to get to that next level. And so I, I have to start out with people with the business piece. And um, then as we start talking about, you know, their revenue model or uh, leading their uh, staff, the personal comes out <laughs> and uh, most business problems uh, have some kind of origin in personal problems and communication and relationships and, and all that. Or sometimes when someone's willing to trust me with, you know, uh, their profitability questions, uh, it opens up a door where they start talking to me about their marriage or parenting or, or whatever else. So, so that's, that's how I approach it. Not, so I don't need to discard either side, but I lead with the business piece. And once I've earned trust and credibility, then, then they open up the spiritual and emotional. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I, I mean, and I mean that, like, that's really cool that, cause I think even, even as a creative, uh, I oftentimes want to go to the creative side with business people, whether I'm talking about a job or creating content for somebody, but you talk about trust building. And I think that is so huge in everything we do. Um, but especially as we kind of talk about kindness and empathy, there's a, there's a, you're building trust through that as you, I mean, you've worked with a lot of different personality types and you talked about some of the problems you get into and you start realizing the personal stuff, but as you've been working with them on their career, their development or their team or whatever piece of the business they want to get better at, what have you noticed about leaders in just kind of empathy as a value, as a like, oh, we care about that. We care about empathy. Empathy is good. Yeah. I try to figure that out. And the way I am tempted to uh, sort through that question, is to look at it historically for a second. So let me just do a quick history lesson about, about business and success. So what's the real driver of results in business? Um, from about like the 1920s on, the answer was IQ. Mm. Like, you know, that's when the assembly lines were coming online and the Ford Motor Company was producing the Model T. And so what they looked for in leaders and the people they wanted to promote. It was about IQ, you know, analytical reasoning, figuring out how to make the machine better. And then that sort of held sway in, especially in corporate America. And until the 1980s, this researcher named John Gardner came along and said, well, hang on a second. There's, there are different types of intelligences in the brain. You know, it's, some people have, uh, engineering, mechanical abilities. Some people have idea, creativity, productivity like you. Um, some, some of them have uh, artistic skills. So he identified a whole bunch of competencies. And so, so for, for a long time in corporate America, it shifted from IQ to competency. So let's find out what particular roles I call for in terms of competencies and let's match the right person to that. And then in the 1990s, late 90s, a uh, researcher named Daniel Goldman comes along and says, no, 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 it's not IQ, it's not competency, it's EQ, it's emotional intelligence. Yeah. So he started looking at success in business and said, hey, once 
Um, people have basically the same level of experience and skills. The ones who produce the most results are the ones who have the soft skills, uh, who can um, handle conflict, can negotiate uh, difficulties with others, um, can motivate, bring people along. So, you know, he proposed in, um, emotional intelligence, which is understanding and using uh, the emotions of yourself and of others, using them productively. And that was, that was really, really big until um, the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, and things started shifting again. So it was about kindness and empathy for a long time. But then um, in the difficulty of the financial crisis, it, it, people started saying it's not EQ, it's actually potential, which is a combination. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of sort of these intangible entrepreneurial skills like grit and overcoming difficulties and motivating people towards a vision and then and then your performance um, and so that they, they you know kind of created this term high potential and those are the ones who are really going to drive results in, in business and it's not necessarily their their emotional empathy plays a role in it um, but it, it's also about some of these other more entrepreneurial traits. So that that's where we stand, where empathy was really emphasized uh, about a decade ago, mm. and, and it started shifting towards that's not the main thing, it's a piece of the pie. So we went from uh, intelligence to competencies to EQ or e, you know, EI, and now we're talking about it's uh, – it's competencies and that's just a piece of several things you need to have to be a good business leader, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a certain set of competencies that are, are defined around um, figuring things out in uncertainty, taking initiative and influencing people in uncertainty. Risk taking like yeah. that would be a competent competency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they call it the, the term they call it is potential. So it's a combination of those competencies plus uh, their actual performance. When did, because a lot of people use like personality profiles and I know those have been popular for a long time, but it seems like they've been on the rise um, in terms of whether it's DISC or Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder. Like how is that playing in with some of the, what people are saying, some of the research or the spirit of what everybody's trying to get at? Yeah, so um, there are actual assessments now for these more entrepreneurial, um, high potential traits that they will give folks in the interview process that are predictors. You know, they sort of they measure their level of grit. Uh, they measure their approach to influencing people. Um, they measure their um, uh, ability to improvise. And, you know, it's the same as a disc or a Myers-Briggs and, you know, you're checking boxes and, you know, your level of agreement with something. Um, so they'll do that and identify people with those intangibles and then um, try to nurture 
them and put them in positions to use them mm. uh, as they're employed in the company. And companies have gotten very sophisticated about this. I mean, we all talk about how weird it is that Google tracks all of our metrics and, and you know where we've been searching. But I mean, a lot of medium to large companies have a significant, you know, big data HR um, infrastructure that's tracking kind of who you are and you know your performance reviews and you know, if you've been targeted for higher levels in the business and how you're being developed and that sort of thing. So mm. that's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool um, to be identified as having potential and a company wanting to invest in it. So what does that say about maybe the young empathetic leader? Like if, if we're building that as a skill and you, you score high in empathy, where does that kind of, what is the company going to do with you through that? Yeah, I, I think empathetic leaders tend to make really great mid-level managers and junior executives because they facilitate um, something called engagement, which is worker engagement is the holy grail of performance and results these days. Uh, engagement is the willingness of an employee to go above and beyond uh, to be fully present in their work and motivated, uh, to be willing to help out others on the team. So, so engagement is, I care and I'm willing to do more. Uh, Justin, what do you, which city in America do you think has the most engaged workforce? Uh, I'm going to guess someplace rural like uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or... Um, it's not rural. Des Moines is not rural. Sorry if you're from Des Moines. No, I mean like it's it's a it's a farming state. I guess I don't. Yeah, I like very sophisticated. Uh, St. Louis. Yeah, I don't know. I'm grasping the straws here. You're saying St. Louis because uh, there's nothing better to do there but work. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, I, I'm from St. Louis, so I, I agree with you. Actually, actually, Austin. Is Austin. one of the most engaged cities in America for the workforce. Really? Um, because there is such competition for talent here that businesses are investing a, you know, a ton of resources, creating training programs, mm -hmm. um, measuring engagement. So, I mean, this is the most engaged workforce in America, uh, in Austin, Texas. So, so emotionally intelligent or empathetic managers, they engender employee engagement. Um, the, the number one factor in how engaged you are in your work is your relationship with your direct supervisor. Really? And then there are other things that come behind that, you know, your, your, your belief in the, the vision of the company and, um, you know, your level of challenge and interest in your work. But the number one factor, according to Gallup, is how... Uh, how connected you are relationally with your direct supervisor. So empathy takes on a huge role in middle management and kind of junior executive teams. So, I, I mean, I think about uh, one guy in a large logistics company that, that we coach, CEO, he started out on the factory floor, man, or in the warehouse. And he has this way of, 
um, calling out the gifts of people around him and encouraging them and getting them all on the same page. And so he always had highly engaged teams and they just sort of rose up through the ranks in this company um, and outperformed everyone else. Hmm. Um, but once he got into the C-suite, uh, that empathy started working against him in having to make hard calls. So as I said before, empathetic leaders make great middle managers and junior executives. They tend to make very bad entrepreneurs, founders, business owners, and senior executives. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> uh, because, because that's a different skill set. Yeah. I mean, those those men and women have to believe a hundred percent in themselves, uh, especially founders uh, because they're overcoming the odds and um, there are barriers that are constantly thrown up in front of them. And so um, they, they have to do whatever it takes mentality, and they hold the big picture in mind. Mm -hmm. um, so pleasing somebody on my team, is important, but I've got this larger goal in mind. And so um, they don't under, my team doesn't necessarily understand all the big picture, but I, I've got to hold that. And so I've got to pursue that. All right. So a lot, a lot of empathetic leaders um, tend to not do really well. Uh, in fact, you know, I said earlier, I've worked in a lot of large churches and you kind of have to be a narcissist. <laughs> to start a church yeah. and to grow it, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, you've got to, you've got to, God called me to do this and things are going to be hard, but we're going to push through whatever what. obstacle comes our way. Um, but those, those pastors, uh, don't often get high marks from the people who work around them, uh, yeah. in terms of empathy. Yeah. So, cause that sounds pretty damning, right? Like, Sorry, hey, sorry, listeners, you guys just aren't ever going to be able to do these things that, I mean, we, maybe as a, as a society, it would say we put on a high pedestal, oh, founder of this and CEO of that, whatever, high marks. But what, I mean, is there ways to combine, like, or take that gift? And I mean, I know from uh, Gallup's uh, Strength Finders, there's a way of like surrounding yourself with the right people. Like, what would you do if you, I said, oh, crap, I started a business. And I'm empath and I see myself as an empathist, empathizer, whatever. What do I what do I do with that? Like, what would you what would you coach an empathetic leader? I think you were mentioning oh the guy who came up through the ranks and he got into that C suite. So was it like just go back to your old job the way it used to be? Or yeah, I, I didn't mean to sound fatalistic. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's about putting systems and the right people around you to make up for um, some of your leadership challenges. Mm. So a lot of high, I, sorry, high EQ founders I have met, um, they sort of bring along with them a very organized, driven, meticulous CEO or general manager that they partner with. Um, and uh, sometimes they put together a board of directors who advise them and push them towards thinking more about the big picture and making the hard calls. Yeah. Um, 
it, so, so it it's not it's not fatalistic. Although I've I've never met a nice billionaire. Uh, I I've met I've met nice billionaires who became nice after they made their billions or a significant amount of money. Yeah, they can take the um, off the pedal. So, so that there is there is a little bit of a um, there's no research there, uh, but there's a little bit of pattern recognition that it it's it's really tough. Um, it's really tough to build an empire when you're, when you care about people because <laughs> mm. you wouldn't probably wouldn't have the goal of building an empire. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I know in the rest of our conversation, I mean, we're, we can dive into, okay, how do, how do I be empathetic and successful? I mean, we've, you know, we've got all kinds of frameworks for that. So it's good. I don't want you to be discouraged. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm going to need your services after this to teach me how to build an empire on kindness. But it's interestingly, a lot of alpha founders turn, turn their management of their companies over to empathetic people. Mm. They realize uh, this is not, this is not my thing. Um, and if, if I'm managing people and I'm trying to manage their hearts too, it's, it's not going to work out. So a lot of them, fill in those junior executive roles and mid-level manager roles with people who are highly empathetic. Yeah. So if, if I could just throw like a situation, like, like exam, like a work through this kind of uh, situation, <clears throat> if you got a CEO, who's a jerk uh, and, and you got empathetic middle managers, and then you have people doing the work, churning the content, whatever, whatever it is they got to do. Uh, when the C-suite leaders or executives say, I need this done. And it's a harsh, it's a harsh reality. Um, how do those empathetic middle managers or, or junior executives, how do they turn that, those hard, in some ways it's some of the stuff you work through, but how do they turn that hard conversations into something that, their employees still feel seen, heard, valued, uh, and invalidated, I guess. It may be still a hard conversation, but it's still, in some ways, they're using those skills to turn something harsh from the top into... Yes. Um, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Justin, because you're uh, often leading creative people who, you know, you're getting directives from on high and trying to get the best out of creative people. So I want to hear your thought on this, but... Um, I think that they need to, um, first of all, know the individual drives and motivations of their team, whether that's being challenged to do interesting work, whether it's uh, some kind of bigger than me mission, uh, whether it's having fun, what, whatever the, each team players or each team members uh, motivation language is. And attach the directives from the type A CEO to those particular motivations. So um, we're being told that we need to find a way to increase productivity by 20% next month. Well, uh, if there are some people on my team who like take a lot of pride in um, innovation, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, there, 
people, people don't think we can accomplish this. Uh, but I know our team is brilliant and uh, you all have fixed, fixed fit processes like this before. So let's go for it. Um, so there's that piece, but then also make, even though everyone has different motivation, make sure the expectations are clear. So yep. setting clear goals, definition of success and that sort of thing. That's what an empathetic middle person does when, when I'm watching them excel. What about you working with creatives? Um, well, I've done it well and I've done it terribly. Um, <laughs> when I've done, when I've done a really bad job at it, what I'm essentially doing is ping ponging back and forth between two, two groups. Cause you got the people who do the work and they, they, when they realize that, yeah, I, I'm actually, I can make demands. Like I can say that's never going to happen, uh, without this amount of money or this amount of time, uh, without these resources. Um, and so I can, when I've done it badly, I've just ping pong back and forth between the two groups. And I'm just this terrible messenger of like bad news and worse news. And, and it's awful. Uh, when I've done it well, um, creatives love to create in the moment, but they like to have all the information well in advance. So it's, it's a difficult thing of like holding creatives accountable to, we're not going to, we're not going to procrastinate to the last second when you do your best work. Uh, quotes. Um, and I love what you said about clarity and um, expectations. That is huge for creative teams. What you can struggle with, and if you're that middle person, is getting executives and C-suite leaders to make those decisions as early as possible. So your team isn't up against uh, this churn, churning out because that's where they get really exhausted is like this information is just, I'm just now getting this information. I'm sure anybody who's managed has heard that before. Um, and so the second you have it, having it available for your team and then clarifying what the goal and what the definition of done, if you're a project manager so that your team knows what we're driving to, what the goals are. And then when things get thrown on top, having a high value of we're going to deliver above and beyond. And it doesn't, yeah. need to be, it doesn't need to be, we're going to just drive ourselves into the ground, but it can be, you know, we know what the ice cream is and yes, let's figure out what, what the sprinkles on top of the ice cream are going to be <laughs> because we know sprinkles will be asked for at the end. So if we kind of have an idea and we can be even ahead of our executive team and say, Hey, we're already planning on delivering sprinkles. So when they go, well, can we also have a cherry on top? You can go to your team and you guys can make that, uh, as a, as a team, you can make that decision. Okay, we, we knew we were doing ice cream. We knew we were doing sprinkles. Can we throw in the cherry and letting them kind of have some voice in that? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, I think it's helping them be part of the solution instead of just being told. I, I think that's a brilliant philosophy. And you talked mostly and I talked mostly about how do I as an empathetic leader lead my team when I've got a type A alpha CEO pushing things down at me. But the flip side of that is if you're an empathetic leader, you've got to learn how to negotiate with your CEO or your board. And um, a lot of us want to just be agreeable and say, yes, ma'am, we're, we're going to get that done on time and on budget. It's going to blow your minds. But there has to, there has to be room for negotiation of realistically these are the resources we're working with here are the seven other priorities you've given us for this month where does this fit in with those priorities yeah. and no we can't accomplish uh, 
it'll be it'll be a real challenge to accomplish what you want with the quality you want in that time frame. But here's what we can do. Yeah. And I don't think empathetic people negotiate enough in life. No, because um, they, they want to pl- they want to please. Well, and I can empathize with my bosses too. And I think you're hitting on something. The art of negotiation might be one of the most important skills for an, for somebody who empathizes is a high empathizing person because you're right. The tendency is I just want to feel, I, I, I understand where they're coming from. I understand what their needs are, but we, the, the ability to dial that back or sh- close that valve just because you're empathetic doesn't mean you need to let everything in and say, you know what? Yeah. When it comes to my team members, even team members, there's some people who don't, you can't constantly be trying to figure out where they're coming from emotionally and try to empathize with that. You have to dial that back for different people. And when it comes to negotiation, you have to dial that way back and go, no, I got to come at this. This is a business. And yeah, if you want to burn the whole team out, we can, we can go for everything you want all the time. Yeah. But turning that back and going, hey, so how's this fit in with priorities? Because we don't want to burn our team out. Uh, we have seven other priorities that's filled our calendar. So what, to your point, where does that fit in? Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And, and so, so there's, a, there's a downside for every you know, great trait. So empathy is mostly a wonderful uh, engagement producing trait. But one downside is we say yes too quickly and don't, we don't negotiate. And the, the other problem with empathetic leaders who are sort of caught between a hard driving executive and their team is that they, uh, they don't share bad news. <laughs> um, like if the project's going off track or you don't have the resources you need, um, you, you think you have this syndrome of, uh, we got it. We got it handled. We'll figure it out. We'll make, we'll make it. Um, and you, you got, you got to go back and you got to go back and be able to tell, represent your team and share bad news with, with the executive. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that, that can be hard, but I think learning how to deliver, uh, deliver that kind of news. I I almost lost my job because of that one time. Cause I was, uh, I was, I would go silent and there was a lot of bad news at that time. It was a whole reorg and in my role, there wasn't a lot of good news to share. So it was a lot of, Oh, this chain. Oh, I know I said this, but now it's this. And so constantly trying to figure things out and not having that clarifying conversation of, Hey, in this season, there's going to be a lot of shakeup. There's gonna be a lot of last minute changes. The whole organization is changing, but being able, I had to learn the skill of delivering bad news or just replying and saying, I see this. I don't have an answer yet. Let me get back to you on that. It, it made me sick at first, but I had to build that. Mm-hmm. I had to just kind of callous. I had to build those muscles really. Yeah. And, it, and if you are a type A leader and, you know, an executive that's type A or you're an alpha dog, you should learn to love bad news yeah. because, because then reality is your friend. I mean, you can figure out a, a path around or bring new resources to bear, but if, if people aren't telling you the truth and you're finding out, you know, a week before the deadline, yeah, that, uh, it's not going to happen. Then, then you're powerless. So, so I, I think good type A executives love bad news, not love it. Like I'm really glad 
I'm getting more bad news. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I think they embrace it. In other words, they don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. Go ahead. I love what, what changed my mentality around this was what Brene Brown says about clarity is kindness. And I think that was the first time I understood some of my employees for the first time. I was like, that's what they're looking. I can be kind to them by just giving them the news, good or bad. They just want clarity. That's huge. Yeah. I I like that distinction. Maybe we should clarify terms, Justin. Yeah. Because people who are listening to this may be trying to identify themselves. Am I empathetic or am I type A? Yeah. I'm sure you've worked with executives who that came to light for them for the first time when you've done, I think you've even shared with me before, like, yeah, this guy didn't realize how he was being perceived. We all think kind, right? We all, it makes sense in my head. No, I just, I did that. That was the kind thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So let me talk, let me talk about three categories. Mm -hmm. Um, Type A is a psychological term. It is a personality type. And maybe some of you who are listening can relate to this. Type A people have this internal drive for success. Um, they tend to set goals and like um, they, they, the gratification of reaching those goals. They live with a sense of urgency. They like organization, keep lists. Um, they don't accept something can't be done. They have a competitive spirit. This is, this is all type A, and most of those things are, are positive. Also, they're work-obsessed. Their stress spills over onto others. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's type A, and it, it's a personality trait. And you can argue if that's nature or nurture or what, you know, what part of it is uh, you got in your childhood or what you, you got in your genes. Um, but some of us are just that way. I'm not. Um, I, I'm more of a type B. Mm. Okay, so there's, there's type A. And then there's this term we've used in this conversation, alpha, like an yeah. alpha leader. And so that person has most of the tra- <clears throat> traits of uh, type A, but um, they step into leadership vacuums and assume leadership and they drive people towards a goal. So they have all those type A traits, but then they have that added leadership piece yeah. and people look, look to them to define what the future is and tell us what to do. Um, and then the third category is asshole. Okay. <laughs> so the, the asshole has type A traits and alpha traits, but they use people as means to an end. Mm. They're, and they're not, self, they're not self-aware about it. So they're abusive. Uh, they make... Um, self-centered decisions without considering the impact on others. So, so in this conversation, you can be type A and empathetic. You can be an alpha and empathetic. You can't be an empathetic asshole. <laughs> you see the you see the difference? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm and I I can think of even even though I've worked with fantastic people, I do know some. I have worked with people who I'm like. Yeah, there was, there was something there that, that was hidden from them. They didn't even see it in themselves. And unfortunately, bringing awareness is not my strength. Maybe not my strength. I don't know. Maybe other people have the strength of making them aware of that. But I was not able to, like, 
have some of those conversations of like, hey, so when you do this, I'm not going to call him an asshole, but (laughs) (laughs) you're a real asshole. No. Um, But like, how would you, because you coach people, right? And you've probably even had people who they didn't realize they were in that third a-hole category. What have you, how do you coach somebody who's experiencing that? Cause I'm, I'm, we probably, and we all have worked or will work someday with people like that. And there's hope I would think, or at least isn't with kindness, I would think that there's hope for them. So how do you kind of bring awareness to that for them? And you're in a unique position where you sometimes get, you know, your, your, your service is to bring light to where a business is struggling and that may be it, but how would you, how would you have a conversation like that? Mm-hmm. Well, in my business, I have a no asshole rule. So I, I won't coach or train or work with assholes who are unwilling to change. So, so they may, may have all those traits, but they've hit some kind of barrier or had some kind of trauma and realized, wow, I do not see myself the way other people see me or there, I keep tripping on over my own feet and trying to accomplish my goals. And I think it's probably me. Um, but people who, people who haven't had that realization, I just can't make any progress with them. Mm. And so, you know, I'll, I'll even like work with someone a, a, for a couple of sessions and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> so, so, so there's that. So, so they're an asshole. Let's say they're an asshole, but there's willingness there. There's, there's some kind of recognition. Then we'll do a 360 review, anonymous 360. And some, you know, some of you who are listening to this have had those before. You know, it's an online instrument asking people who are above you, people at your same level, people below you in an organization. You know, what are their perceptions about your behaviors? And most people in that anonymous environment feel the freedom to just tell it like it is. So I bring this report to an executive asshole and say, here it is in black and white and here are your scores and here people, people say you do really well. um, But here's where they say the gap is and you got to fix it. And that is eye-opening and it's painful um, to get the feedback, but that's that's when the change really starts. And so um, whenever someone gets feedback, or whenever you get feedback, you, you've got three choices. You can you can choice number one is to say, I don't agree with that. Um, so I'm gonna ignore it. Um, choice number two is to say, wow, I didn't see that, but now that they say it, I do, and that I need to change my behavior. Or option number three is I get where they're coming from with that feedback, um, but I, I can't change that particular thing about me or that changing that would cause problems elsewhere. So what I have is a perception problem I need to fix. I don't necessarily need to change my behavior. I need to change my people's perceptions about me. Yeah. Okay, so so then you know we'll create a plan for working on the behavioral and perception issues that were, was raised in the three hundred and sixty feedback, 
And that, that's how the coaching an asshole begins. That's, that's brilliant. What do you do if you work for somebody like that? Who's that? Like, how do you, that was my dog. <laughs> yeah, that's your alpha dog. That's my alpha dog right there. Butting in to an empty vacuum. She's like, nobody was talking. I just, <laughs> um, how would you, how would you coach somebody, uh, as an employee, I, I guess not coach, sorry. You, you talked about coaching, but if you're an employee, you work for somebody like that. And let's say they, they haven't hired Ted Beasley to, to come in and fix it. What do you, what's, how do you work through that? Are you asking, what do you do if you work for an asshole or you work for an, a type A or alpha? Uh, I would say asshole. I think, cause we all, we've all probably perceived our boss that way, whether it's true or not. Uh, not, not saying, I don't mean to categorize everybody saying that, but like, Many of us have worked for somebody who we perceived as like, man, they are just using people to get ahead in their own career. When you work for somebody like that, what, what would you coach them on? Like, how do you, you tell them, like, just get out of there. Like that person's a jerk. He's an a-hole, like adopted no asshole policy like Ted or, <laughs> I mean, that's legit. Yeah, life's, right? life's too short. Uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first one is counterintuitive, and I'm sure you'll disagree with this, but enjoy the ride mm. and potentially, pro potentially profit from it. So if you work for a hard-charging person who gets results and is accomplishing things no one thought was possible, um, they need empathetic, talented people around them. And together, if you can figure out a way to partner and collaborate and live with some of their personality downsides, it can be a beautiful partnership. Mm. Um, it's not, not without its pain. Um, but, but first of all, there, there is some value that they can bring to your life and there's a ton of value you can bring to their life. So yeah. don't write them off immediately. Second thing I would say is, reach, we, we discussed a little bit of this already, agree clearly on what the goals are, what their expectations are for a project or for a process or, you know, even your job description um, that make it measurable and make sure that they agree. And I would not just define what success means, but I, I also define what wild success means. Like, so, so what, what, are, what are their expectations that, I mean, what would like really blow them away? Wow. Yeah. So getting clear on that with, with someone who tends to be demanding um, reduces the misunderstanding and the ugly words later on when expectations aren't met. Yeah. Um, the third thing I would say is uh, set clear boundaries about your time and make commitments for results, but not for hours. So uh, make commitments to accomplishing the, the goals that they set out, um, but don't, but don't uh, you don't have to match their frenzied pace and you know, draw some clear boundaries around your work hours, when, 
you know, when your phone is on, when they can reach you or, or make demands. Um, so you got to prove yourself that you're going to be a performer. Uh, but um, you, you've got, you've got to respect your own personal life, even though they don't respect your personal life. And then if they how. don't, yeah. yeah, if they, if they don't, then think seriously about quitting. Yeah. Like, like if you've tried, if you've tried everything with your boss about uh, talking through, you know, their words and how they hurt or how their leadership approach is not the best for your team. If you've had those conversations and they're not willing to change um, or they're not able to see it. I mean, you're just, you're walking, you're walking on a cliff. I mean, you're, it's just a matter of time before something goes really bad. And in this work environment where, you know, it's a kind of a seller's market in terms of your skills and talents and finding, finding jobs. It's, it's just not work worth it to spend years underneath um, someone who is not self-aware and not willing to listen to you. So, gosh. So I was going to disagree with you at first, but as soon as you started going into the details of it, I was thinking of relationships in my own life where I actually got a lot of value and a lot of work, a lot of things I'm proud of looking back on it, of, of working for somebody that my coworkers at least would categorize as an, in that third asshole category. And so, you know, all this worker bees together would be, Oh man, he's so awful. And da da da. And can you believe working for her and that, you know, whatever, whatever it was, I'm sure people have coworkers like that, but I, I think accidentally, maybe I just figured out, but like I earned my, my employer's trust and I actually built a friendship, even though other people had this other perception of him or her and um, was able to partner really, to, to your point, you can come alongside and partner really well when there's mm-hmm. clear expectations. And I think going back to something we said early on in the podcast, there's trust. And so while early on there was, I don't know. I just gave him the, I gave this person the benefit of the doubt and it, it didn't burn me in the end. Um, I wasn't burned by it. You know, it turned into actually a really nice friendship, even though a lot of people couldn't get past some of the other things they didn't like about him. Yeah. So to your point, I, yeah. so to your point, yes, I actually, I actually agree. <laughs> True. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're just as good on this stuff as I am. But I mean, you've got to, with your boundaries, I think, I think the line is making the people who work for you feel disloyal, stupid, immoral. Mm. There's a problem. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's unacceptable. Yep. And I, I realize people, some people are more, uh, defensive and, you know, have different emotional needs, but that's those type of things making somebody feel like they're disloyal or an idiot uh, um, or evil. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, that that's just not tolerable. I mean, you, you can't last in, in a role like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. What's Hey, hey I got a, I got a question for you and your, oh, yeah. your audience. Um, do you think you should play company politics? You think you should play that game or you should be good at it? Oh man, that I'm curious I'm, if you're listening to this right now, what, how you would answer that. So I'm going to just give a moment. I'm thinking through my own answer. So I'm stalling. It's a stall technique, but also listening to this, what do you think? Uh, is that something that's a value or should be done? Or is that, uh, what's the long-term benefits or, or long-term uh, damage of doing that. So think about that in your own head. Because we, we were just talking about how to work around people's personalities. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Cause I think, I think to everything, there is a, a, a balance. And so if you, a lot of people say, Oh, I had to quit that place because of the politics of working in that environment. There is a place where in the absence of, care for one another as we try to accomplish the mission of the organization. Um, if it's, if it's lacking any kind of empathy, I think that that sounds like a toxic environment to me. If it's if politics are done in the context of caring for one another, as we accomplish the mission of the organization, whether that's meeting the needs of clients or developing innovative products, uh, putting, man on Mars, um, whatever it is, if it's done with empathy for one another and vision on the mission, I think politics could actually be a powerful thing uh, when we look out for one another. Um, I, have, I have seen team leaders uh, play politics very well. And at first it was just, I was like, why are they doing that? What gives them what gives them the right to come in and sabotage my part? The people on his team love love that person, love working for that person because they're such a great champion of their team members and it builds an incredibly positive culture that he's developing uh, within his team. And so I can actually see in talking to them like he has done, I'm putting you know office politics in quotes around that. He's done office politics with a ton of empathy for his team. That makes so sense. for you, Justin, it sounds like, yes, uh, politics can be okay, but it's about the how. Yeah. Yeah. The, how you the, do it. Yeah. Whereas some people might argue the other side, which is it depends what the goal is, what the, what the motivation is, what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So it's so probably not a perfect answer on my part, but. Well, you were the uh, host interviewer and I, I turned it back around on you. So I mean, that, that's a, that's a great answer. And it's very insightful uh, for me. Um, Cause you know, just last, last November, I was working with a company that was going through a budgeting process and I was coaching two uh, division leaders. So one guy was over engineering Another guy was over more customer facing, um, you know, yeah. sales and uh, customer satisfaction. 
So at budget time, they were being told by the board, hey, look, in 2022, uh, at least in the first um, half of the year, we can only hire 20. 20, We can only add 20 more headcounts. And so the engineering guy hates politics. And so he's like, I'm sure they'll make a good decision about how to allocate. I've got got needs on my engineering team. I'm sure they'll see that. Um, but the, uh, customer, the customer delight guy, yeah. very politically astute. He's like, he's like, of those 20, 20 new head counts, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to get 15 of them because my, you know, my, my area is blowing up and we're very understaffed right now. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to make sure I go to the CFO and make my case. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm going to even dig into, I mean, does engineering really even need new people right now? Yeah. Okay. So, so he does that with empathy and compassion, Yeah. but he is advocating for his, his team because he believes it's better for the company. Yeah. Um, because they gotta they gotta do a better job of managing the customer relationships. So he plays politics and he's good at it. And the, the engineering guy is a great guy. He hates politics, he doesn't embrace it. Yeah. And now he's gonna be, you know, through was, through the end of June, he's gonna be limping along yeah. on his team. Yeah. I think it's a great point. Uh, you know, you we talked about like seeing and valuing your team. I think he just kind of took a pass on champ being a champion for his team. It was like, Oh, they'll, they'll figure it out. And that sounds like conflict or whatever. And I know customer service and engineering, they always get along. So <laughs> I'm sure no one can relate to that. I mean, I'm sure everybody can relate. You to told that. the customer we could do what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. No, I think that's brilliant. This, yeah, this is important because throughout this conversation, we've been saying, Type A and alpha is not a, not a bad thing. And they get, they get results. Mm. We want to do it with empathy. We want to do it with kindness. Um, but a lot of empathetic kind people do not want to play the game. So um, if I could, if I could just draw the distinction um, in the research, it's the difference between what's called agreeableness and fairness. Mm. So, so there's a lot of research around the nice guys finish last theory. And really what they discover is that people who have this trait of agreeableness uh, pr- produce less, uh, they make less money. And agreeableness is uh, the willing to go, willingness to go along when someone else defines reality. Uh, the inability to say no or to draw strong boundaries, the need to please mm. everybody and make them think you're the best. Um, and so sometimes kind, empathetic people fall into the ditch by being agreeable, agreeable all the time. Yeah. Fairness is something else uh, that's related in uh, fairness Fairness means making sure everyone has a chance to win. 
if they're willing to play, you know, fairness means uh, saying no, if you don't think that you can deliver uh, fairness be, means um, fairness, fairness means being honest with people about what you can do for them rather than just agreeing and saying that you're going to deliver fairness means negotiating. So, so anyway, um, th th that's the big difference. Alphas type A's wonderful traits. Um, they're not always agreeable. Okay. So the pursuit of being, um, empathetic and kind, let's not fall off into the agreeableness territory. Gosh, that, <laughs> I mean, that is, that's convicting for me right there. I mean, I feel like I'm in a free session with you right now. Because I think that's, that's been a lot of my struggle. And even, even starting this podcast, one of the things I want to gain from this is like, okay, I know you can be, I know you can be kind and you can still be firm. You can be, and, and that's the difference I think right there is how you define agreeableness as this, um, and it is soft. It's a little bit softer. It's willingness to kind of advocate to everyone else's opinion. And it is maddening. That's that ping pong. Like I said, what I've done wrong in management is just ping pong back and forth and like, what's my team want? Okay. What's my boss want? What's my team? Okay. They don't, and they're both on different pages. It's, it will drive. If, if that's you, I just want, you know, if it hasn't happened yet, it will drive you up a wall and you will mm -hmm. end up quitting your job over it because you can't find a way out of just advocating your own, what you bring to the table, essentially. Are you too agreeable? Just Is that. Are you too agreeable? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Oftentimes it's just, I mean, it's something I, I'm, I have worked through over the last several years. Uh, so I find I'm more in fairness, but oftentimes I, I can easily go back to being agreeable if I am not on my guard. Do you know it in the moment? Are you making a conscious decision? Um, when I am go along and be a pleaser, it, it is, it comes down to preparation for me. Huh. If, if I walk in and try to wing a meeting that I know is an important meeting, like if I'm walking in and Hey, 20 heads and this is all we're gonna do. And I walk in and I just try to like, Oh, I didn't, was that what this was about? Like I, if I come in unprepared, yeah, it's easy for me to nod my head and go, okay, yeah, that sounds great. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Good deal. I'm glad we're all on the same page. That's awesome news. I'll see you guys next time. But if I come in ready and I know what that meeting is about, then I know, okay, I need to have these things prepared in advance. So I know, let's say they come in with this number. I'm going to need this. They come in with this number. I'm going to need that. And so having some thought through it, I can come in and be, hopefully I can be that fair person mm -hmm. and advocate for what I need. But when I try to wing it on my own, it's just kind of having that valve wide open and just trying to empathize with everything that's happening in the room at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to be self-aware and know where you're falling. I mean, I would suggest like even doing a journal for a week, you know, at the end of each day, think back through the meetings appointments you had and go, was I agreeable or was I fair? Yeah. And look at the big picture story over the course of a week and see, or, or 
or it might not, not even be um, as a whole. It might be with particular people and see for some reason, I just turn into this mushy, agreeable person with that individual. Yeah. <laughs> but everywhere else, I'm kind of, I'm doing well. So it just might be a fun thing to do for a week and yeah, see where and, it comes out. You can, you can always go back. Um, I had, we, we know another coach, uh, Betsy Howtalon, and she would say there's like a two-day slide rule. Like if you said something, you probably have two days to go back. Oh, I like that. And deal with it. Like you can, you can give yourself permission. You can give yourself a slide on two days of like, yeah, I came out of that meeting. I don't like the way I handled that. I want to go back and address it. So you can go back to that team or send an email and say, hey, as I was thinking through it, when I said this, I want to make sure that I'm clear that this is what we actually need. And just kind of clarify, you have two days to kind of clean up some of that. If you notice, if you notice problems. Yeah. If you trust someone, you can just put it out there and go clean it up later. Yeah. Uh, but, if, but if there isn't trust, it's after two days, you're stuck with it. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much stuck with it. And I love that practice though, of like just of putting it down every day. Love it. And tracking it. Um, so I like your point about preparation. Oh, of, of deciding the person you want to be before you go into the meeting. So yeah. I thought that was a great point. Yeah, that's huge. Otherwise you'd get caught off guard and you just kind of revert to some bad patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's guys out there who have um, some of those, I'm just kind of going back to the alpha, uh, a type alpha and asshole. If you are kind of hearing this and maybe you're in your own life going, yeah, gosh, I've heard that. I've, I've gotten that feedback before. I've heard that before. And they have some of those traits. How do you coach those guys on their next step in their career? Like waking up to that reality. And not to do, do, some, do, do some, go ahead. Yeah. And not that those are all bad. Cause I think, I think there's great, we, we've already said that there's actually really good things about those. They're great for your career, but they're also really good for their team, right? But how would you kind of help them see, you know, how would you help them take that next step in their career? Do some self-assessment, look back in your history and see if there's a trail of bodies mm. of people who have left teams or left the company uh, that were under your care and um, try to make sense of that. You know, is, is, are they trying to tell me something? <laughs> uh, is my history telling me something? I also like the 360 anonymous feedback. Yeah. And that. that was awesome. Um, I have a real simple survey monkey tool for that. If any of your listeners want to, want to try it, try that out and create their own and ask people to do that. I'd be glad to set that up for you. That's awesome. Um, to just process through what behaviors do I need to change or what perceptions do I need to change? Um, I think, I think the other thing to pay attention to as an alpha or a type a is to be in touch with uh, what the motivations and goals are, the people who work in your, t- your team, um, and just ask them about that. You know, wh- what's, in- what's important to you? What do you like? Uh, what are your goals right now? And how can I help? 
Yeah. So being, being more focused on other people's goals and what you can do for them, that keeps you on the right side of the line between alpha and asshole. And I like to do something symbolic every day, uh, which is to just walk the floor. Like when I know I'm coming back from lunch or going to get coffee in the kitchen or whatever, I like to stop by people's desks and I just go, you know, how are you doing? And is there anything I can do to help you? Usually they're taken off guard and their answers are, I'm great. And no, I don't need anything. Um, But, but just, just, being available to help them with whatever their goals are. It's been an easy practice for me. That's awesome. Yeah. It just starts getting you to see people around you. Um, Gosh, Ted, I feel (laughs) I'm looking at the time. I can't believe how quickly this has flown by. My goodness. Um, Yeah. Love it. Um, So many good takeaways uh, from this, from just, I love the way that you're helping just kind of define like defining success for empathetic people and then putting a plan together. I think that's what a lot of what you do uh, is about is like, what do you, the hard things are going to come. The difficult conversations are coming. You can't bury your head and ignore it. But a lot of times we revert to just what we think is going to work or what was modeled for us. And that's not always healthy. So going, okay, what's my plan going to be? I know I, is what you're really highlighting is like, what's the plan going to be for you in this season, in this meeting with this employee uh, or employer and going, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to start shaping reality around that? I love it. And in the pursuit of being a good person, don't overcompensate. Mm-hmm. Like don't like try to discard some of your alpha traits. Yeah. Um, if, if you're a leader and you see a vacuum, uh, you know, don't say, oh, I want to be kind. Uh, I'm going to avoid that. Or, um, you know, put, putting yourself in positions to let your alphaness come out. And t- type A is it's a valuable person on every team. Yeah. Someone, someone who is internally driven and meticulous about uh, tracking things and keeping lists. I mean, don't, don't, don't try to discard any of that. Oh, that's I, wonderful. I had a type A on my team and I loved it. Oh my gosh. I, I needed that so bad. And we worked so well together. I, I, I miss that person. Um, so if, if you're managing uh, to that point real quick, Justin, if you're managing somebody who's a type A, um, you've got to get them focused on professional development and not just doing the work. So yes, give them clear expectations and goals, but also be checking with in with them every 90 days about, you know, their personal development, getting better skills, you know, adding some new abilities, uh, improving in a behavioral trait. Um, cause, cause they can become over-focused on just the work. Yeah. And the, you know, the other, the other thing, if you have a type A reporting to you, ask them at least, you know, once every two weeks about their bandwidth. So, Hey, where, where are you at on the scale from boredom to overwhelm? Zero is a boredom. 10 is totally overwhelmed. You know, most type A's want to be around an eight, 
But if you ask them and, you know, every two weeks they're saying, I'm 10, I'm 10, I'm 10, I'm 10, then you've got to help them help themselves. Yeah. You've got to help them with their priorities because type A's on your teams can burn themselves out pretty quick. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll have to ask at least every two weeks, zero to 10, where, where are you at on your bandwidth? Love it. That's awesome. Um, Ted, when people hear this and they feel like, man, I could really use some professional help. How would they, how would they find you? Uh, yeah, just, um, you go to emergentexecs.com, uh, or email me at Ted at emergent execs. Uh, I am not the best person to help everybody. And I have a huge network, even on my team, I have, uh, you know, over a dozen people who are coaches who have different areas of expertise, different temperaments, different genders, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, so you can reach out that way. Um, but this is also a lot on you to have mentors in your life, the people you look, you look up to them and say, wow, they're really good at balancing um, their type A tendencies with being kind and compassionate and, you know, just sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and ask them good questions and run, be able to run things by them occasionally. So, so uh, that would be a good step. So people can reach out to me if they want to, uh, but I encourage them to build their own portfolio of coaches and mentors in their lives. Yeah. I, let me ask you about that real quick. Um, I know we didn't, this wasn't anywhere in our notes, but, uh, one of the things I've noticed is with just two years of living in the COVID cave for a lot of people in their careers, the the networks have dried up, the networking opportunities weren't there. And so the networks have dried up um, and working remotely for many people, they weren't bumping into people who could have become their mentors. So if somebody was looking for, um, I think I think that makes your service even more valuable for people in this season. Uh, but in looking for, for mentors in their business or, or trying to find networks, do you have places you would tell people to start looking if they don't, we, we work remotely. I work by myself. I'm like, how would you find a mentor if you don't have exposure to networks and, uh, business meetings? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I hadn't even thought about it in terms of COVID, but I, unfortunately things are starting to come back in terms of personal interaction. Um, I think you need three types of mentors. Uh, one is what I would call the Oracle, <laughs> like the person who just asks really great questions that you can go to occasionally uh, when you're at a crossroads you're facing a decision, you had a failure, there's an opportunity in front of you and you just, you just respect them. You're not, you're not asking them to meet with you at Starbucks every week or go for long walks on the beach together. Um, so finding an Oracle and usually that's somebody from your past who you had deep trust with maybe from another job or someone at your church or, uh, an extended family member and just say, say, to them, I just, I think you're really wise. And would it be okay if um, you help me process this decision? Or if I could come to you occasionally, well, 
when when I need some outside perspective. Yeah. So there you're sort of looking to the past for the oracle. It's often not good to have an oracle that's your boss or someone in your company because you know they need to be able to re- represent some objectivity. The second type of mentor is a subject matter expert. So somebody who isn't wise about all things, but they're really great at search engine optimization, or you really respect the way they parent, or you know they seem to have an amazing marriage, or uh, they do the best job in communicating through emails. Um, and these can be celebrity type people too. I mean, you'd be surprised at the willingness of accomplished folks to help out. So find a subject matter expert, um, send them an email or, you know, approach them and say, I really admire the way you do X. Would it be okay if I occasionally threw some questions at you? Yeah. Um, and I'll do my homework. I won't ask you something I could Google or read about myself. So you need a list of those. Um, and then the, the, the third type of mentor is a running partner, which is somebody who's a peer that you meet with regularly. And maybe in COVID it's over Zoom or it is that, you know, meeting at Starbucks for coffee, meeting regularly, and they're holding you accountable for your goals and asking you the hard questions. And that is the person who's probably of those three years going to help you most not be an asshole. There you go. There you go. I love it. Well, uh, last question I always ask, uh, or I try to always ask uh, every guest is who's someone uh, or some people that you admire uh, for the work that they're doing in the space of business, empathy, emotional intelligence, kindness, uh, who, who should we have on the podcast next, essentially? One of, one of my um, coaches that I've worked with for many years, she's on my team and she has her own company too, Karen Jordan Markham. Mm-hmm. And she, in some ways, was a real type A CEO for much of her career. And now, she, now she's a coach. And I don't know that we talked a lot about gender in this conversation, but some of, some of our conversation, it was, it was implied that we were talking about a male, male world when we're talking about alphas. And Karen has come to me at different points in my life and held up a mirror and said, um, women are going to receive that kind of leadership very different than guys will. And you, you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're going, they're going to, they're, they're going to hear you can't, you can't be that type of alpha or type A. a. Um, so it might be interesting for you and your audience to hear, you know, her perspective on, cause your audience is mostly male, right? Yeah. Yeah, for for guys to hear in the pursuit of being uh, leaders or achievers or, um, you know, even trying to be kind, how that is perceived from the the other sex. Yeah. Um, I think that could be very valuable. That's awesome. Ted, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. not just the time this morning and the way that you have uh, been coaching me through this conversation. Um, but I know for the guys listening in, thank you so much for just the value you brought today and you bring all the time. Uh, and you just have this amazing, I love that you asked even me questions because you've, you've, I've always admired your way to like turn a phrase or flip something over. Like you just, that's you. So when you started asking me questions, I was like, this is typical Ted. Love it. So what, what is the one big takeaway 
you have, Justin, the, th- the thing you want to try or implement? Oh, man, I think I, I already touched in on it, but I want to get better at fairness um, as the way you, des- you defined it. Uh, just making sure everyone has a chance to win, that they're willing to, you know, everybody's, everybody's kind of getting an opportunity. Um, but it's also saying no and, and being firm in some ways. I've called it firmness, but I love fairness is a better way because it's not, it's not all that different from just, you're still being kind. You're just, you're being fair uh, is really what it is. So I want to do a better job, I think. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your practice and I'm going to journal about it. Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about it in a couple of weeks. There we go. See what your journal says. All right. There we go. Do it. All right. I really appreciate it, Justin. This was fun. Likewise. Hopefully there's a nugget or two people could take from it. I, I know, I know they will. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing uh, Ted really give you some practical steps on what to do if you are an empathetic leader and what to do if you're on the other end of the spectrum. There is room for both. So I hope you heard that very clearly. There is definitely room for both. I also hope you enjoyed hearing Ted grill me a little bit. I was not expecting that. And so I appreciate uh, you giving me a little bit of grace on the spot. But um, that was a lot of fun. Hope to do that again soon. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, hit subscribe. That helps the show so much. You you don't even know. Uh, Leave a review, rate it. That helps uh, the show grow and helps get future guests on the show. And it means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Uh, you can also go check out our socials. This will be all in the show notes, but our socials. And we got a new Patreon page up. So if you want to support the message of kindness and community of men, go do that. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And I'm grateful. And we will see you again in two weeks with another episode of the Mankind Podcast. Oh man, I hope uh, that that is true, that we would be back in two weeks. Like I said, this whole episode uh, was filmed before we took our big break. And so I know that life looks different for me now, and I am really going to work to bring uh, value about every two weeks. So excited about that. But your support is vital. Um, One way you can support this show is by hitting subscribe and leaving a review. I think that's everybody says that at the end of the show, but it really does help shows out. And so if you are into kindness, if you're into the show and hearing from men who are making a difference, man, hit subscribe uh, and get this show coming to your inbox automatically. Another way is we set up Patreon. And so one of the needs right now, uh, without my own software, I have to buy my own. And so uh, I need licenses for Adobe. And I know that that's $80 a month, but... Um, That'd be one way you could support the show to just give some money to our Patreon page, which will be linked in the show notes. Anything you could give uh, would go to helping produce this show. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for checking out the Mankind Podcast.